9.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Don't forget the time, and it is that time now. It is that time on uh, January 20th, 2021. Oh, while I uh, punch my microphone right off the bat. Uh, good evening, everybody. Oh my goodness. Excuse me while I fix my pop filter. Also, if you're ever hoping to do audio work, buy a pop filter. It's like $15, but it's worth a lot more than $15. Excuse me while I take an extraordinary amount of time to unzip my sweater so that I can put it on my body. A little chilly down here, and I was just wearing my Hockey Canada sweater, so I figure I'd rep the brand now and uh, put on this at least until I overheat. Um, good evening. All right, now we can get rolling. Um, what's going on? There's a bunch of nondescript hairs all over this sweater, which just came out of the wash, so not that you needed to know that information, but uh, yeah, good evening. Uh, a busy week, as you can see, based on the names listed. Uh, if you listen to the podcast version, I'll just run through the names while people ask questions uh, and while people file in. So this week, uh, Aturatu got a look. Matvey Petrov, uh, Jeremy Tomala, Prokhor Poltopov, Dylan Duke, Isaac Rosen, William Stromgren, Leo Johansson Holmrast in, no in Norway, uh, Stanislav Svozil, Fyodor Svechkov, Brennan Othman, Yeri Virolainen, Lorenzo Kananika, uh, Nikita Chibrikov, Matthew Coronado, Theo Jacobson, uh, Simon Edvinson, Yuri Tihachek, Marcus Almquist, Luke Hughes, Aiden Hresschuk, and Cole Huckins. So, busy week. Um... Uh, yeah, so busy week. But that's the way it goes. And I gotta get it in now before, uh, before it's about time to do the reports, which is coming up shockingly quickly. Um, so yeah, also kind of wanted to circle back on some higher end, on some higher end guys from this year so far. So, got lots of takes on that. Uh, it's pretty remarkable how quickly, in my view, things have changed or are changing the more and more you see these guys play. 2021, to me, is very wide open. Uh, very, very wide open on all fronts. I mean, there. Are, I was talking to someone today through email about... Um, I was talking to, to them about, about the draft in general, and it sort of came up, at least from my perspective, that... There are guys who might be at like 20 on some lists that might be at like 70 on mine, but I I could understand why they would be at 20 something on someone else's list and 70 on mine. And if I was sitting at a table with them at the draft, it would be an interesting discussion to have. I, I think it's that even of like, of, of interesting case studies. There are guys that I certainly believe in more than a lot, um, but it's a very strange year, not just because of the coronavirus thing. I just mean in terms of a hockey talent uh, draft. So it's interesting. Uh, it's It's been an interesting experience tracking games this year. I mean, I've been up, I'm now up to, uh, where are we here? I'm up to, oh my goodness, I'm almost at 200 games already. Um, I don't know what I got to last year, um, but I mean... I, it looks like at this rate, I'm going to blow right through it. I mean, it helps that I work from home now and I don't 
you know, my, my, my tracking can also include things like lunch hours and the day, the hours I would normally spend on a go train and all that stuff. But I mean, this is just getting a little out of control if you ask me, but I mean, you might ask other people and they might say it's perfectly in control. Um, but yeah, so far, big season, we're up to 85 names. Um, and there's more coming as well. I mean, uh, there are some guys that I haven't touched yet that I've wanted to for, for a while. The guys like Cole Sillinger. That's the big one. Um, anyway, we can start digging into these questions because I'm sure there will be more in about five minutes. Uh, fire away if you got them. Um, uh, housekeeping update. I am going to start doing some tracking on NHL rookies this year. So if there's any that you want to see, uh, yell and scream about it. Otherwise, it'll probably be the greatest hits because I have a YouTube channel to run and I would like views. Um, and then the scouting reports will follow probably in March. Uh, but yeah, that's the next big thing. There's also still the podcast that's in the works. Uh, took a step towards making that happen today. Um, so if you have anyone you would like to hear uh, a bit of a laid back conversation about the sport with, there's a few names that I have on the list, um, but nothing, uh, you know, still not 100% done setting it up, but we're getting there one step at a time. Probably sometime in February or March, we'll be able to get it launched. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway, let's, let's see some of these questions. Ah, oh, Keith French fries. What up? What's up old friend? Uh, what from the schedule format this year do you like? And what do you think it's carried over going forward? I imagine the divisions will go back to normal, but I think back-to-backs work as well as a shortened season. Well, they're certainly not going to keep a shortened season. Um, and I certainly don't think that they're going to keep the divisions as they are. Uh, so I agree with you there. I mean, personally, if I had my way, I would shorten the regular season anyway. Um, but they're not gonna, unfortunately. Um, I don't think there's anything really about the new system that I like more. I, I, there's nothing that I really dislike. I think they're make, trying to make it work. Um, sorry, I realized in the last live stream that I was like shaking my desk a lot and it was shaking the camera. So I'm going to try to move less. Um... So, or at least keep my hands off my desk. Uh, I don't think there's anything that really stands out to me as particularly beneficial. I think the back-to-backs over and over and over again, it's a lot for the players. Um, it, I, I don't know. I, I think that in an ideal world, a shorter se- or, or fewer games in a season over a similar length of time, maybe cut down a little bit, would be beneficial for both the players and fans, and it would make games matter more. But... I can see why they want to play 82 games. There's nothing really... I do like the idea of expanding the rosters a little bit and, like, cycling guys in and out and making load management a little bit easier and making, like, the flexibility of that a little bit easier, but also the fact that you have to waive players to put on your taxi squad, I think, is kind of an interesting experiment. Like, if there are guys that you're just filing away on your taxi squad that are waiver eligible, like, that that shouldn't be something that if they keep it long-term... Um, should be kept but i'm saying it would be nice to see that expanded sort of non-roster player thing that you know could maybe sorry while i sneeze and it went away of course uh it would just be nice to have that kind of thing like i, I think that they're i think that they're legitimately are young players who if given time in the nhl could make it work um at least to a replacement level that that could maybe replace a fourth lined 31 year old guy who you've just signed um and so giving that 
more flexibility and, and maybe allowing that to happen. I don't know, but, but I don't think there's very much that I'm like, this is amazing. I think this is literally just band-aid after band-aid after band-aid to try to make a season work so that the owners can make a little bit of money, which frankly they might need. Um, so we'll, we'll see, but yeah, I mean, ideally a shortened schedule, I think is better for fans and I think it makes the games matter more. Um, but there's obvious reasons why they don't want to do that. Um, I, oh yeah. So YouTube sucks. There's your username. I'd probably get this video demonetized from saying that, but, um, the scheduling model about playing each other back to back a lot more. Yeah. I think that's, if that's what you meant by back to backs, I, I can see that, you know, playing, more games against teams that you know like more home and homes might be kind of interesting long term or, or something like that just to sort of tweak with the schedule but in general i don't think a whole lot's gonna keep um bozo jazz that's that's my favorite brand of jazz bozo um what are your thoughts on luke hughes and where do you have him ranked so far yeah um let me pull him up here um so i i had luke hughes at one for a while um, I've done three or four games of him at this point. I think three. Um, let me double check that. Yeah, so I did my third today, uh, early this morning. So, yeah. I mean, I think Luke Hughes is an interesting one because you're betting long-term, I think. He's very young. Like, if he was a kid born in, like, late 2002, I would be much more skeptical. Uh but he isn't. He was born in September 2003. So what I see in him is is a pretty interesting long-term sort of malleable player. He's got good puck skill for a defenseman, really good puck skill, I think. Uh his his mobility is pretty solid. I think his defensive instincts are there in terms of defensive transitions and closing out all of closing out defensive transitions well and at least managing gap control pretty well like his defensive controlled zone transition percentage of 42 percent is okay it's good for a defenseman it's not near the top but it's good but the thing about him is that it's consistent through all four games like it's 40 percent every single game so you kind of know what you're getting with him there's going to be good and bad moments i think on defense at least right now but i think he has the potential to get better because of the mobility that he has he leads with his stick and 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 challenges four checkers it's just that if the four checkers get around that first layer of defense there's not that second layer that that can help close out the play from there at least not yet but he has the size and mobility to get there which gives me hope um if he gets moving in a straight line he's a good skater moving offensively he's a really good puck manager i mean being over 100 pass attempts per 60 minutes and around 75 percent passing is good is very good I think Jake Sanderson, like I look at him and compared to Jake Sanderson, who is a young mobile defender who had very good transition numbers, you know, he lines up a little bit there in terms of puck management, but I think Sanderson's passing was a little bit, a little bit better uh, than Luke Hughes. But again, with Luke Hughes, similar to his defense, he is, he's usually reliable but when he's not, he's really not. Whereas with Sanderson, I never got that indication. He was, after after last November, it was pretty much a light switch going off and he was way better all over the ice uh, after that point. So I, I look at Luke Hughes as sort of like a Sanderson, but a step, maybe a little bit of a step down or a step laterally, um, you know, but but the the statistical profile is kind of there. 
And, and there are some areas though, where I think he's a bit behind, but again, you know, if it took Jake Sanderson three months of playing, uh, to, to really sort of hit his stride and Luke Hughes had all this time off and he's actually, in my view, looked better in the third game relative to the second and the first game, I think there were flashes that I saw of, of what he's capable of, but if he continues to get better and better over the year, like he'll be in my top 10, I think at the end of the year, um, but right now I have him at, I think, five or four. Um, he was a pretty soft one the whole time. I've got him at six. Okay, so six. But he's still, to me, the best defenseman available, especially if you're thinking like he goes to college for a year or two and you play patiently. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the thoughts on him so far. Who's your early front runner for Calder? Kaprizov? I mean, I've seen, I've seen only a little bit of Kaprizov so far this year and he's looked quite good. Um... I've seen Alexi Lafreniere play for the Rangers. I I mean, I said there might be an adjustment period with him last year when I made the video on him. The pace of play changes. I mean, it seems like that seems to be a bit of an issue. He, watching him with the Rangers so far, he seems to be keeping up fine, but he doesn't really seem to be able to use the skills yet that made him so special, at least at the NHL level right now. Obviously, it's only three or four games into his career, so, you know, patience. But, I mean, of all the rookies so far this year, I mean, I'd have to look at the rookie scoring leaders. I mean, Kaprizov is the one who's kind of hit the ground running. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, you know, to be perfectly honest, I think Alex Romanov has looked really good. I don't, I don't think he's going to win the Calder, but I think he's looked good. Uh, who else is up there? Um, Nils Hoaglander has flashes of something really interesting there. Um, based on the guys I've seen so far this season, I mean, I've, I've liked, I've liked what Nils Hoaglander has done. I liked what Alex Romanov has done, especially for a defenseman and as a rookie, like usually you see defensemen struggle defensively first and, and do better offensively first, but he's kind of the opposite. Like he's a good puck distributor and he's rock solid defensively, and he has got he's got two points so far for sure that that can't be denied. But from what I've experienced from watching him and looking at the deeper data on him, he seems to be driving a lot through defense first and then driving offense through that defense, which is perfectly fine. Um, but it's kind of hard to win a Calder Trophy when you play that way. But it, it's impressive to see a player that's that's able to do that at at his age. But I I, I mean I would say. Like, Hooglander has, to my eyeballs, been the most impressive, but Kaprizov is probably the guy right now. Um, should NHL refereeing be reformed to review penalties? You know what? Like, this season, um, like, in my, in my view, I think, I think that the reviews... You know, like part of the allure of something like RFID tags and the digital sort of revolution that we're right in the middle of, I guess it's not a revolution if it's been going on for 30 years now, um, basically my entire life. But if there was a way to automate offsides and a way to automate when the, like setting off a goal horn when the puck fully crosses the line, um... I would I would like that to be just the goal and removing reviews from that whatsoever. Frankly, the more I watch hockey, the less I want offsides in the game at all. Um getting rid of the getting rid of 
you know, somehow playing with just two zones could be a very interesting sort of offense-promoting thing that would remove something from the game that can be very controversial very often. Personally, though, I also I can also understand the argument of just wanting to just throw the idea of reviews out the window and going back to yelling at the referees. Like, I think, I think that you have referees for a reason. I think that what there should be is a reform in terms of, all right, we seem to be focused on the clutch and grab penalties and interference, and, like, that was the project of modifying the game of hockey from, like, 2005 to, to now, I would say, is that clutch and grab interference, like... I don't really see that so much in the game. And Brian Burke brought it up in the second intermission tonight. There was the penalty on Mitch Marner tonight that was not a penalty. That's not it. And maybe they're trying to coach, get it out of the game more, but that wasn't the clutch and grab that they were trying to eradicate from the game before. There's a fine line, but that wasn't it. And so, but, but then at the same time earlier in the game, I can't remember who it was. I don't even remember which team it was, but like I saw a guy just get dumped in front of the net with a cross check right to the back and if there's ever going to be some kind of reform in the NHL, you know, you can say what you want about guys turning into hits along the boards and getting hit from behind by accident and whether that's a penalty or not. Like, we can debate that forever. But the stuff that's just, you take your stick and literally cross-check someone somewhere on the ice and it not being a penalty, like, it's in the rules that that is a penalty. Just the same as it is in the rules to grab onto a person's jersey or grab them from behind or hook them from behind to slow them down. Those things were all penalties in the 90s, but they were never called. So if the next sort of res revolution, I guess you can say, or change that they just tell the players to deal with it and young players adapt and grow, it would be that kind of thing uh, that, that I think should be looked at. Reviewing penalties, I think, would be a nightmare. Um, I, I would say that, if anything, you either have to automate offsides either automate offsides or remove them entirely or you just leave it up to the referees again because I'm starting to get very tired of I don't know how many goals on on average are reviewed but it seems like more and more are getting reviewed the fact that a play can be considered not offside for a minute and a goal goes in and then they challenge for the offside is also bunk you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what that entails, but I'm not a referee as well. Like, I, I don't know off the top of my head how to fix all this, but the things that I kind of would like to have also enforced more is the things that are penalties. Um, because it also seems like they're going too far in the clutch and grab stuff. But I, I, I guess overall, though, I don't really have a huge amount of problems with how the game is refereed outside of those those blatant examples that you just go, that's not allowed. You can say a guy turned into a hit along the boards and, and that may or may not be boarding. Sure, that's a bit of a gray area thing that you could one way or the other argue. But but that kind of stuff in front of the net, the, the stuff that guys get away with by clearing the crease, by doing things that are not in the rules and that not being a penalty, that's where you kind of lose me and where there probably should be some change. And to me... I don't think there's anything wrong with having more power plays in the game. And I don't know. Uh, any, anyway, that's, I hope that answers your question. Um, I guess your question about reviewing penalties is a hard no, though, because then games would take three hours.
Who do you think will be the better player, Drysdale or Brant Clark? Why? I would go Drysdale. I like Drysdale a little bit more than I like Brant Clark so far this year. Um, why? I think Drysdale is a better skater than Clark is. Uh, Clark's instincts are much more up the bow and Byram alley, I would say. Like, I think if you asked me who's going to be a better player between Brand Clark and Bowen Byram, I would probably lean Bowen Byram, but I think that they would end up two players cut from the same cloth. Um, it's hard comparing him to Drysdale because he's a bit different, but I think Drysdale's four-way mobility uh, and ability to sort of move pucks with control a lot uh, is an advantage for him over Brant Clark, whereas Brant Clark is more of a positionally... Um, a positionally aggressive sort of offensive leaning guy who steps up in the offensive zone, um, gets pretty daring with his passing in the neutral zone. Whereas Jamie Drysdale was more get the puck across the defensive blue line, just to a winger who's there. And so the winger can rush it into the offensive zone as opposed to putting it over the center line. Many cases in Brant Clark's case where he's just firing pucks up the ice um, and playing very aggressively and offensively. So I think if you see him as like a Bowen Byram, but like a shade lower, I think that's more reasonable um, than trying to directly compare him to, say, a Jamie Drysdale. Um, Bouchard or Dobson? I go with Dobson. I mean, I like Bouchard a lot. I liked him when I was early in my work. When he was a draft eligible, I all the data and everything pointed to him being very good, but it did not take a genius to note that he had issues and they were mostly defensive in nature. Um, and the London Knights rarely had to play defense. Uh, I don't think it's improved enough to really be warranting of of a tremendous amount of hope for him to be a rock-solid top-end defenseman. I think he could be a really good offensive-leaning guy that can quarterback a power play, um, but I watched him a bit with Bakersfield last year. It wasn't... It, I don't think there was enough improvement to say wow this guy is going to be a tremendous defenseman for the Oilers especially for the Oilers a team that tonight uh, alone sure they looked good defensively but so far this year they've been a bit of a train wreck in their own end so I I don't know if there's going to be more of the same of that when Bouchard does come to town I I don't know um but based on what I saw with with that with him last year in, in Bakersfield I, he, he does things that bewilder you when you watch him play. You go, what are you thinking? What, do you, what, do you, what is your end goal by leaving the front of the net with two guys standing there? You know, what do you think is going to happen? Um, because he does that, because he chases offense. He looks for those breakouts. He looks for all those things. And once he gets the puck on his stick, though, sure, like, he's very valuable. Um, but a big part of the things that I'm learning doing what I do is that playing with the puck on your stick and being good at it is fine and dandy, but there's a lot more to the game of hockey that can lead to positive or negative things based on your positioning and how you read the game away from the puck and, you know, the intensity level that you show away from the puck and the, and the care that you take to monitor the situation in your own end before looking for the offense and before looking to be in a position to carry the puck. Like, all of these things kind of go into a soup. And if everyone's just focusing on what, on the, on the, if everyone's focusing on the chicken in your chicken noodle soup, you could make the best chicken in the world, but if you don't have broth and you don't have all the other stuff like that makes chicken soup great, it's not going to be a very good soup. Uh, the chicken will be good, but you're not going to like the soup very much. So, you know, that, and that's a big, and making the soup good is something that a lot of young players have to learn, you know, which is fine. But with Bouchard, I mean, it's been a number of years and in the AHL, I mean, he's still not 
Still not quite there. Could he get there? Absolutely. But yeah, I, I, and after seeing him in Sweden this year, he can get away with a little more because it's bigger ice and he has more room to play with. So I, I won't judge anything until he comes back to North America, though. Um, and Dobson, on the other hand, though, I think is more responsible. Um, better sort of two-way guy. I love his mobility. Uh, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen him play with the Islanders this year. I haven't seen the Islanders play at all. I don't think. Um, so I can't tell what his game is like in the NHL level. I thought he was mishandled last year, but keeping him away from Bridgeport based on what I saw with him doing the Oliver Wallstrom project, I don't blame them. If they really didn't think that he was going to benefit from playing with that team in the AHL, then so be it. Uh, I don't, I don't blame them. Um, but, but personally, I think it's more likely that Noah Dobson becomes a good rock solid top four defenseman for the Islanders than Bouchard becoming, you know, of the same thing for the Oilers, maybe an offensive second pair defenseman. Like they have Tyson Berry now, and maybe you get a Tyson Berry out of Evan Bouchard down the road shoots from the point constantly, decent offensive tools, good skill, good rushing ability, but you just, there's a lot of times where you're going, what are you doing? Um, so maybe there's going to be more of that. Uh, but yeah, again, two different types of players, but I, I go with Dobson as being more reliable overall. Uh, what do you think of Marcus Almquist? He's a good kid that I've gotten to know well. Oh, that's interesting that you, that you know him. Uh, I've seen him three times now for data. And I think five times, just like two other times without tracking any data. Uh, I mean, if there's going to be a small player that makes it work in the NHL, it probably will be him from this year's draft. I think he's got, he's got really, really good mobility. He finds open ice and gets there extremely quickly. Um, really, really fun player to watch when he's got the puck on his stick. He's a bit soft away from the puck. He can be a bit sort of floaty and waiting for other guys to do a bit of work. But I, I think that he'll figure that out over time. He's got a great motor on him. Uh, once he gets moving, he can really get moving. I tracked a game of him in the Danish pro league. His team is not good over in Denmark. Like, I'm not surprised he's got five goals and one assist. Like, I don't think that's because he's a volume shooter. I think that's because he's a guy who doesn't, he's not able to turn play around defensively because of his size and and all that. But you know, when the, uh, when the teammates of his that can do, and he gets the puck on his stick, he's off like a rocket and, and that's really it. And he can score goals perfectly fine. Um, but he doesn't have a tremendous amount of help. I don't think in terms of like real high end offensive skill on that team. I think they're a bottom three team in the Danish pro league. So I don't know. I want to see what happens if he comes back to Sweden. I don't know if their season is restarting at all. Um, but I have him in my second round, I think. Um, yeah, like mid second round. I like him. I want to really like him, um, but it's really hard with guys that size, especially. And doubly so because he's playing in Denmark. Um, say good things about Scott Morrow. Also, what happened to Carson Lambos? <laughs> uh, well, Tony. Tony just put out a video interviewing Scott Morrow, and it only made me like the kid more. Um, so I might have to get in touch with Scott and see if he'll do the same with me for the upcoming podcast I'm doing. Um, cause I think his case study is, is really fascinating. Uh, but honestly, you know, like if there's a defenseman out there who I think could be like, I mean, obviously he plays prep school, so you have to be really careful with your evaluation, but I get the feeling that 
I, I really get the feeling with Scott Morrow that if there's ever going to be a defenseman out of this year's draft who becomes like a great, a great player, like, I mean, great, it might be him. Like if I was putting money on someone where I think the odds are undervalued, like where you're looking through the odds of like, who will be a player that becomes just an NHL great out of this draft and Scott Morrow had 200 to one odds, I would feel comfortable putting money on those odds because obviously he plays prep school. It's, it's not the same level of play as even the USHL. He shouldn't be there, but there are reasons he's there. Um, the thing, the thing that Scott Morrow does so well is he just, he's big. He's extremely mobile for a big defenseman. Who's that mobile, his skill intertwines with that almost perfectly like he can get a little bit too hot dogish from time to time and lose control of the puck and be a bit too fancy and you know try one too many deeks to get around a guy but at the end of the day like he's still an outstanding puck controlling defenseman his defensive game is is fine i would say it's more than enough to enable really good offense smart passer great fundamental passing skills um, you know, he's aggressive offensively with, you know, the skill of a, of a winger at times, just pinching up from the blue line, uh, dragging the puck inside and out and, and just keeping opponents on their heels. And, and, you know, like if there was a guy in this year's draft, you know, when I watch him play compared to like, he's ranked my number one, two, three, four, five, six, number eight defenseman on my board, but I haven't seen Grushnikov play. I could easily see Scott Morrow being a guy I like more than Archon Grushnikov. Uh, Daniil Cheka. Cheka went to the World Juniors this year. I mean, I think is going to be a fine defenseman in the NHL, like a guy you don't have to worry about a whole lot. But I don't think he's... I, I think that's, you know, it's a, more of a safer bet than, than Morrow. Like, if I was betting on upside, there might be more to Scott Morrow than there might be to Daniel Cheka. But I really like Cheka in terms of what he could be. I mean... Is he going to be a Carson Lambos? I'm not sure if he's quite up on that level realistically. Um, but I, I, I just, I, Scott Morrow's a guy who at least at the level he's playing at, which sure, um, is, is low. He's, he does something incredible almost every time he steps on the ice. Like I'll show you his data because it's kind of like bewildering. I mean, I have to do more. Um, it's hard to get Shattuck footage unless I use hockey TV, which I don't want to have to use if I don't have to. But, like, we can run through this pretty quickly because it's crazy. Um, of all the dangerous shot attempts going both directions, he's at 88% that are his, his team. 41 dangerous shot attempts per 60. There are guys whose teams don't generate 40 total shot attempts per 60 minutes when they're on the ice. Um, five against is minuscule. That's nothing. Um, his transition data is bonkers. So he, he's out of 10 offensive transitions he's involved in. He's maintaining control on nine of them. I don't think there are very many guys that are above 80%, let alone 90. The opposite direction. And he's involved in a lot of them. 44 defensive transitions per 60 is a lot. And he, he, he drops that to nine in terms of controlled only. So he's rocking a 20%, a 90-20 a split here is insane for a defenseman. Um, 112 pass attempts per 60 minutes is a lot. For a defenseman, 14 dangerous passes per 60 is a lot. Uh, 82% pass completion rate is a lot. And that's situations where he hot dogs the puck a little bit too much and loses control. Um, 
there's just there's a lot to his game where you're just like you don't belong in prep school anymore but like if he plays anything like this in college like he's going to north dakota uh so i i'm i'm a believer in that guy um what happened to carson lambos Uh, i i hope that it's that bigger ice is really weird for him solid defense of defensive ability like he really reminds me of Braden schneider from last year you know the same kind of feeling where there's some skill there's some decent puck distribution ability really good defensive instincts and can close off transitions really well um but just i don't think there's a whole lot there that really pushes him super super high like all of this is just kind of eh just kind of overall eh um decent offensive transition numbers but usually in europe you see defensemen putting up much better numbers than 53 percent. like we'll compare him to a finnish defenseman i've tracked a few games of like kali or vasti um so here kali or vasti plays on a different team obviously uh but you've got a player who drives possession better a guy who drives offense better lambos is better defensively in terms of preventing dangerous chances against Lambos has a bit better offensive transition metrics, but Kali Vasti defensively is 50% better than, than, than Carson Lambos at shutting down defensive transitions, 47%, you know, or sorry, Carson Lambos is 47% worse. Let me, I have that backwards. I forgot this is the other way around. He's more involved in offensive transitions with, with comparable results, I would say. Um, but Kali Vasti is, is, you know, comparable. And we're talking about a guy who might be available late rounds of the draft compared to a guy who might be a person people are looking at top 10. Like there's more to the picture than this, but when I look at Carson Lambos, I'm not surprised that he's kind of underwhelming. I'm going to get a full seven game set on him because I would like to put a video together on him to at least get some findings, but I don't see him as the same group, uh, as this top nine, I would say of this year's draft. Um, You've probably answered this before, but where do you think Robertson would have gone in the 2020 draft if he wasn't eligible for 2019? Uh, just watched the Leaf games, wanted to say the refs are brutal. Well, that's your opinion. They lost. Uh, Robertson in the 2020 draft, I mean, I probably would have had him around the same slot that I had him in 2019. Like, I think I had him at 21 or 23. Um, and I think Robertson available, I mean, obviously you have the benefit of hindsight, but probably in the i mean obviously he would have been a first round pick um like if you had to for example though like if you had to get me to it's it's easiest to play this game um 2020 nhl draft so if we look at the 2020 nhl draft hopefully this crop doesn't ruin it yeah so would i have taken nick robertson over alexi lafreniere no byfield no stutzla no raymond sanderson maybe maybe but probably not uh drysdale no holtz no quinn i would have taken him over jack quinn uh easy they're almost the same age and i think robertson is a better player right now rossi no perfetti askarov lundell no jarvis is where we're starting to get into the area where maybe you know would i have taken him over seth jarvis i wouldn't have complained either way dylan holloway i probably would have taken robertson over holloway Rodion Amirov, I probably would have taken him over Rodion Amirov. And Rodion Amirov was ranked 11th on my board. But that would have been, to me, close, but I probably would take him over Amirov. Uh, Gooley, yes, I would have taken him over Gooley. Reichel, yes. Mercer, I think so. 
So in that 15 to 20 range, I probably would have started to be like, all right, Nick Robertson is a guy I, I would go after. Um, but obviously you have the benefit of hindsight after that insane year he had last year. Um, is there an elite goal scorer this year? Oh, elite. Elite is a fickle word. Um, hmm. I'm going to say Cole Sillinger could be one. Cole Sillinger has a great shot on him. That that's that's a big thing that he's got going for him. He's got a great release on his shot. Um, other than that, maybe yeah, not really. Kent Johnson can do it from time to time, but again, like at five on five, got like if like if you're thinking goal scorers that are elite, and you're talking about guys like Alexander Holtz, who you you're comfortable with them shooting from anywhere because they can score from anywhere. I can't say I've seen anyone that really gives me that feeling. Um, Logan Stankoven, maybe, but I haven't seen him play this year because he hasn't played. Um, Cole Sillinger would probably be the guy that I would say, but other than that, I don't think there is really the same kind of thing. But yeah, Stankoven, it comes to mind. Um, yeah. Uh, da, 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 agitators this year. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I have time for guys who like to get under the opponent's skin. Uh, I can't say that there are, I mean, Zach LaRue has a bit of that to him. He has a bit of a swagger to his game. Um, uh, I don't, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to like think about that actively while I watch these guys. Cause nothing usually you don't see a whole lot of it anymore in the nhl i mean there are guys that certainly play really hard like hit a lot and and like to play physical um bourgo from time to time does that zach larue though is the one that probably comes to mind right away about that sort of psychological aspect of the game uh jack hughes Oh, for the rookie report. Yeah, I did one last year on him, so that's not happening. Uh, usually I only do NHL rookies. Uh, is Matthew Beniers a top three of the draft? Yes. What do you think of Matt v. Petrov? For talking about chicken soup, um, the chicken's pretty good. The rest of the soup you wish was better. You think it could be better. I, I like Matt v. Petrov. He moves well. He shoots really well, but uh, I don't think... I. I think he's a good MHL level player and that's not really, I think he's in my second round, I think, uh, or at least early third. Uh, let's see here. Petrov, Petrov, Petrov. I guess I could pull him up here. Matvey Petrov. So I've got him in the third round, 76th, which I think is perfectly reasonable. I mean, as a mid round pick scoring winger that can shoot, I could see that. Um, I would be curious to see him play with Erie for sure. I think he's, perfectly reasonable as sort of a mid-round scoring winger f swing um and if he keeps playing with Karelia Sovatov he'll probably be slipping in the draft because that's not a program NHL teams usually draft out of so we'll see uh I I, I don't mind him but I don't think that he's this like extraordinary player I think there's just a lot to the package that that he's getting away with in the MHL that I j it's a little frustrating to watch at times but but he's a fine fine Russian junior player that, that's worth a bet in the mid rounds, I would say. Uh, best Dorito flavor asking for a friend. Sweet chili heat. All the way. I could crush a party size bag of sweet chili heat Doritos for at least two days in a row. And then I 
then the depression would set in, I think, and I just would, it wouldn't be good for me. But if I had to pick one, that would be the one. Uh, John Beecher's been looking good. I hope so. Um, I, I, I like John Beecher. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think he shares a line with any of the Michigan guys that I've been tracking, at least not consistently. Um, but I've always been a big John Beecher guy, so I'm glad he's looking good. Is Shane Wright a 1A player? Uh, we'll see. We'll see next year. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I know he's not. I know he's drafted and not a big name. But did you ever see anything in Riley McCourt you liked? Other Marley signees have been good in the Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, I Riley McCourt played for Flint, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm not thinking, um, if I'm thinking of the same guy on Flint, I think I am. I I liked Riley McCourt. I think there was a brief time where I had him on my ranking list two years ago, but I just never. I never really pulled. I I, I never really thought that there was quite enough. Like, what the Toronto Maple Leafs do well, I think, is fill their junior or their farm team rosters with perfectly reasonable junior age players who deserve a shot at the professional level. Guys like Jeremy McKenna, Riley McCord, where you're not expecting them to translate entirely, but you want to know what's there at the pro level. And the best way to do that is to play them there. So there's lots of guys that I think deserve a chance in the AHL, like Joseph Gareffa, is another one that I'm expecting should be a good player in pro, but you don't know for sure, um, especially with a guy that size. But I like I, I like Riley McCourt overall, but I wouldn't expect anything huge out of him. Um, but yeah, I think it's a perfectly reasonable AHL deal they got him on. Uh, with things being so wide open, does it seem safe to say that this year's draft is significantly weaker than average at the top? I wouldn't say it's weaker. I think the first eight or nine guys could be useful sort of top two line players. Like, I don't think there's anyone who's going to be a number one defenseman, probably, or a top line forward. Like Fabian Liesel, I think, could be a first line scoring winger. I I believe that. Matthew Beniers, a really good number two center, I think is perfectly reasonable. Um, Jesper Volstead, I think, could be a goaltender, like, should be a goaltender that that starts in net every night. Uh, but beyond that, like, if I'm just looking at my list, I mean, I think William Eklund is going to be a really good complementary piece to a line. I wouldn't build a team around him. I wouldn't build a team around Fabian Liesel. I wouldn't build a team around Atu Ratu. I wouldn't build a team around Luke Hughes, Edvinson, Clark, Johnson, Power, none of these guys. It's. I think this is going to be an interesting draft where you add just another really good complimentary piece at the top end. Guys, you know, like similar to the Nico Heischer draft, um, who is a really good player, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if Nico Heischer is second fiddle to Jack Hughes when all is said and done, but those are two very good players. Um, like Aaron Ekblad's draft year comes to mind as well, where there's a lot of sort of mixing and matching. Neil Yakupov's draft year as well comes to mind. Um... So that those those kinds of drafts are the ones that kind of this reminds me a little bit of, where it's a little bit more wide open and there's no real generational number one high-end talent that someone's produced. Um, I wouldn't say it's weaker, but I think like the thing that I've been saying to people is that it's a lot of the guys that are outside of that Lafreniere byfield and maybe Raymond Stutzler. Like there's a lot of guys, I think, in that Stutzler, Raymond, Rossi, Holtz brand and it's like just deeper there but 
then it sort of drops off quickly. Like it's it's not as strong a draft, I don't think, as 2020. I, I don't think it's as strong as 2019 either. But, you know, you might have to go back to like 2017 for this kind of thing, maybe. Uh, it, but but there's been a few really good drafts back to back to back. So it, it'll be interesting. It might be just that we're primed for a really good draft based on 2020. And the 2021 class being like slightly less is just devaluing everything immensely. But I know I know for a fact that there are far more players that I watched this year and I've been disappointed with. Far more players this year where the data is not as good as it was last year for a lot of the guys at the top end. Um, and like once you get past, I'd say... 15 or 16 like that's when things get really weird and and like all bets are kind of off um maybe 20 maybe 20 but like at least at the at the least like 15 16 um what are your opinions on rasmus kapari and jordan spence i like both uh I, i like both quite a bit uh jordan spence has a pretty serious hype train going on him and he's been good um but i i'm a big fan of both of those players that game was poop, says Heart of Lad. Yep, it was kind of... I mean, I personally enjoyed it. A lot of people seemed to... I, I turned on Twitter, like, halfway through the game, which was a mistake. Um, but it seemed like a lot of people hated that game. Maybe I just don't mind nitty-gritty hockey that is defensive and tactical and all that. I don't really seem to mind it. But yeah, more goals would be fun, especially with Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews on the ice. Um, but for that to happen, the Leafs would need to shoot the puck when they have it on their stick from time to time, as opposed to stick to the perimeter and be scared of shooting it into a shin pad. Um, what have you liked about Isaac Rosen is the second part of your question. So, uh, Rosen's mobility is great. He skates really, really well. Um, that's a big thing he's got going for him. Uh, he's a weird one. First three games I tracked of his were under 20 level for Lexans. Fourth game I tracked was in the SHL. His game was completely different in the SHL relative to the under 20 level. He's a guy who I think was just kind of not all there at the under 20 level. He was at times really lackadaisical, not paying attention to the, to what was going on around him. One of the games I tracked, he left the game hurt in the middle of the third period because he wasn't he was puck watching he was not paying attention he was puck watching and he collided with someone who also was puck watching and when that happens weird stuff can happen and he left the game so and 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 there are situations where he admires his passes um he just seems very sort of he he's really talented but there's not that well-rounded sort of like instinct of 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 intensity to his game there's a lot of really good talent though in terms of pure talent especially when it comes to shooting the puck and scoring uh and playing with the puck on his stick he's right up to me near the top of the draft um you know he can be really frustrating at times when he has the puck on his stick he'll ignore passing options and look for a better shooting option for himself he'll open um he'll open up passing lanes and not do anything with them but then attack them with his feet and then shoot which, you know, he drives tremendous amounts of dangerous shooting. So, where is it here? Uh, nope, not that one. A dangerous shooting. Uh, yeah, so here he is. So this plots... Uh, oh, right, I forgot about the cropping. Um, so over here, you've got dangerous shot attempt percentage. So out of 100 shots, what percentage on average is the guy's team taking shots from higher medium danger? And this is just the percentage of the team's shot attempts that are the player I'm tracking... Um, taking those dangerous shots so ideally what you want here 
are guys who have great possession numbers. You're taking lots and lots of dangerous shot attempts and not allowing a lot. And on this side of the graph, you've got guys who are responsible for a lot of those dangerous shot attempts. So you can, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that being up here is a really good thing. And the only player that is around Isaac Rosen is nobody. Um, so he's kind of on an island by himself after four games of tracking. I mean, Aturatu is up here. He plays, he plays at a higher level and he's up here. Um, Matthew Coronado, there's only two games here, but he's up there. Um, Oliver Kapanen is up here. Doesn't, he plays at the under 20 level. Um, Xavier Borgo, but, but for Isaac Rosen to be up here with one of these games being uh, an SHL game, he's, he's looking pretty good in terms of the data that I track. Uh, he, he almost tracks perfectly to Lucas Reichel last year. So if you were a Lucas Reichel guy, Isaac Rosen is your guy, but I think there's a bit more mobility to Rosen, a little bit more skill to Rosen that Reichel could get to. Um, but I'm a big fan of Isaac Rosen. It just, he's, he's a bit of a frustrating one to watch. Like hard of, I know you're a Leafs person. So like if the Toronto Maple Leafs come away with Isaac Rosen this year, I would not be shocked whatsoever. That, that seems like a pick that they would, they would go for. Um, have you changed your rankings since last week? Oh, they change all the time. Um, bu -bu 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 -bum. Uh, are there any players that could be drafted from obscure countries? Well, Belarus has a couple of good ones. Alexander Suvorov is a good one, and his teammate Dmitry Kuzmin. I'm a big fan of Dmitry Kuzmin. Um, he, uh, I did a, a OHL top 10 for, for uh, Brock Otten at McKean's, and um and i uh i put kuzman on the list even though i was told today that the chance of him coming is pretty slim um i still have faith because i mean i think he's going to be a guy who if an nhl team does their homework they'll pick him in the sixth or seventh round and have a laugh if he turns out the way he could or he'll come to flint and be a great skating fun aggressive offensive player um with who's actually underrated at both ends i think uh you know, he's a guy who really uses his mobility to, to his advantage, uh, to, to, to overcome his size shortcomings really effectively. Like, I think he's the number two possession defenseman on his Belarusian pro team, which, you know, that league is not great from what I've seen of, of the Belarusian pro league, but he stands out to me as a guy who there's more there. Um, so if he came to Flint, I wouldn't be surprised if he started shooting up boards, but if he doesn't come to Flint, I wouldn't be surprised if a team that does their homework on this guy picks him late because no one wants to draft a kid out of Belarus. Um, but I think there's a lot to like there. Uh, and if that's obscure, then, then good. If not, uh, I don't think there's any others off the top of my head. Like Leo Johansson home. Let me try that again. Leo Johansson home rust, uh, plays for a pro team in Norway. There might be something there like a bottom six energy guy that you could get late. I, I don't mind him. Um, there's a few decent young players coming out of Norway, but nothing overwhelmingly wonderful. Uh, it's a bit of a quiet year for those lesser known countries. Latvia has a couple of good ones. I like Mix Tumanovs, uh, who is a 20 year old defenseman who plays in, in, excuse me, I got the hiccups again, uh, who plays in Riga and he plays for their junior team mostly, but I think he's too good for that level. Uh, I think he should be either in the KHL or somewhere else uh, because he looks really, really good in the in the in the MHL for a guy that age, which which is fine. But you know, if you have a seventh round pick, I wouldn't I would not be as scared of using it on a, a mixed Tumanovs if you're looking for someone from an obscure country. Um, 
because I, I think there's there's a lot to like there with that guy. Big, skilled, and skates really well. And when you have those two things, those three things in conjunction with each other, which is what I think a lot of teams are looking for, it's worth a shot. Because what do you have to lose in the sixth or seventh round of the draft? Is there any one stat you track that you think is most important? Uh, I actually did a bit of a unscientific study on this last year when I was done with the data for 2020. Like the biggest drivers of goal differential, well, not goal differential, I should say, the biggest drivers of dangerous shot attempt percentages from what I tracked was entering the offensive zone with control. So, I mean, we'll see if that holds this year. Um, let's see. I'm going to have to update that. Um, so entering the offensive zone with control. Offensive zone entries. Controlled. There we go. So the leaders that I've tracked so far on this are Matthew Coronado after two games, Brennan Othman, Oscar Olausen, Josh Waugh, Matthew Beniers, Samu Salmanen. But the big honchos are probably Waugh, Olausen, Othman, and Coronado. I don't think... I don't think Olausen, Waugh, or Coronado translate those kinds of metrics fully into the future based on their 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 skating talent and their pace to their game and their creativity on the fly. I just don't quite see it. I can see how it's good at the junior level, but maybe not beyond that. Othman, I could see being a really good transition player. Really, really good, but I, I need to do more work on him. Beniers is the one that I think is good. The, the, re, the big reason why Beniers is number one to me is, I mean, it's insane. Like, defensive exits with control of the puck, okay? So, like, that's something that you'd think defensemen would likely show a lot better in. Um, and yes, there are some defensemen who are up there, but Matthew Beniers is number one, and it's not particularly close. Where is he here? Yeah, so he's 10% ahead of number two, and number two is a guy who's only gotten one game. Like, looking at guys who have done multiple games, Huckins, Chibrikov, Morrow, Wilmer, uh, Stenman, these five, the highest is at 36.5, and, and, and Beniers is almost at 45. So it's not particularly close. So I look at the transitions in the offensive direction as a big driver of what I'm looking for. I wouldn't say there's, like, one metric, but those are the ones that I look at the most, like transition play and the amount that you are involved in those transitions because that's when the bulk of the game of hockey is played. When you're entering one zone, leaving another, um, and then the rest, I mean, because pass percentages, those there's lots of things that can modify pass percentages. Are the, is, your, is the receiver receiving the puck cleanly? Is it the passer's problem by sending it three feet in front of the receiver? Uh, you know, did a defender get their stick in the passing lane or something? I don't know. Um, so you can't really look at that and say, well, this player is a great passer because they complete a lot of their passes. There, there could be lots of situations, especially guys on bad teams where they're not completing a ton of passes, but the, the thought behind them is, is, is clear and sound and perfectly reasonable. But anyway, that's a bit different. The, the big thing though, is sort of the transitions in the offensive direction. Um, defensively, there's a lot of factors that can, that can manipulate those, um, but they do track the defensive numbers do track to sort of better defensive play, which makes sense. Like if you're turning, if you're causing turnovers along blue lines and your team is getting the puck back, you're probably not going to be facing as much danger in your own end usually. Um, but I can't say that that's a perfect correlation, but the strongest things have always been transitions going in the offensive direction. So defense might win championships to some, um, but 
getting the frickin' puck and putting it in the frickin' offensive zone certainly doesn't hurt either. Um, who has the most high ceiling, high floor? Um, Scott Morrow. Sure, I'll say it. Just Let's just do it. Like, I watch Scott Morrow at the level he's at, and it's, again, prep school, so you got to be careful. But if if he brings that, like, if he was playing that way in the USHL, and even at 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 eighty five percent of the talent level that he showed, he could be a great NHL defenseman. I, I I think it's hard because he plays at the level he plays at, but he's a guy where I would I would be willing to bet a lot of money on him. Have you seen Danila Yurov playing for Magnitogorsk? Yes, he is a very good hockey player, and I'm excited to watch him for next year's draft. A hundred percent. Yes. I have seen him play a few times. Yes. How many Hughes will be in the NHL in 10 years? Well, there's going to be Jack, Jack, Quinn, and Luke. I don't think there's any others. So four. Uh, do people have access to your Patreon also have access to your McKean's articles? Yes, um, they do. So if you go uh, on scouting.ca log in um and if you are a patron and haven't gotten your login email check your spam and if not i'll just send you a link manually get in touch with me somehow uh sometimes it gets caught in spam um yeah so there's a section that's called tools for patrons in there you can go to uh written reports section in there um when you click it there's like a portal of which tier you're in and you click into each tier and it gives you the features that you're paying into. So if you go to the, any tier has access to it, by the way, uh, it's available there. Uh, and you can click on written reports and there's a, it just loads into one big feed so you can check them out there. But yeah, they are accessible on McKean's, but they're also accessible at scouting.ca. Do you think the NHL is going towards a point where the first overall pick now will have to develop in the AHL before reaching the NHL? Hard to say. I mean, this year I wouldn't, be sub- I think Beniers probably could step into the NHL right away, if he if you if they if team if the team really wanted him to. Um, I don't. I mean Fabian Liesel maybe, but I I think that Beniers is the only one that sticks out right away as as that level of player. William Eklund might be that guy, might, but I still need to do more work on him to figure out for sure. Um. Is Lambeau still a premier defensive D in this draft? Uh, I mean, on paper, on paper so far in my tracking, it would be Owen Power, but I don't believe the numbers that I've tracked so far. Um, I guess in terms of playing defense first defense, Lambeau's probably is up there. Honestly, though, he's a bit greasy when he does it, but the numbers don't really lie. Uh, Jesper Volstead is up there, I think. Uh, let's see here. Defensive danger. So let's just take a, let's take a quick look at this, at this graph. Um, this one, this one, defensive danger. So what this shows you is dangerous shot attempt percentage over here. So this is your possession. You want to be up here. Uh, and this is your defensive controlled zone transition percentage. You'll notice the axis is reversed. Um, you don't want to be over here. So this means that your team is not is getting absolutely pummeled defensively. And when the puck is coming your direction defensively, you're allowing a lot of control. So Logan Mayu is down here, but that is also like your team is awful. Uh, Anton Olsen is down here, which I believe, I don't think he's that great. Um, William Trudeau, 
does okay on defensive transitions, but his numbers are still terrible. Um, of course, or Scott Morrow obviously is way up at the end here. Um, like, yeah, pure defensive defenseman. I mean, Edvinson is kind of in here, right there. Uh, Daniel Chayka as well, I could see as like a really good transition defenseman, but he's not as good pinned in his own end. Lambos probably all around defensively is the better defensive defenseman. So I probably would go with him. Um, yeah, and he's here. So he's not like a 35% DCZT is good. It's really good. But you've got guys like Edvinson is under 30%, and that's one game in the SHL and three at the under 20 level. Um, I got to do more on Jonathan Myrenberg. Um, there's overage guys that I've tracked, like, uh, tracked, like Alexei Kozhevnikov, who I'm a big fan of, and I could easily see being a guy that you swing on late. Yuri Tihachek, I've done four games now, and he's way up here as well. Um, so yeah, there's a few, I would say, but I think Lambos is probably the safest one. Um, but again, like, defense is hard to evaluate in the draft, but I think if you drafted Daniel Cheka later, or took a mid-round swing on guys like Tihachek, or a late-round swing on a guy like Kozhevnikov, or Myrenberg, or Kaliarvasti, you're gonna get a good defensive player as well, at least starting with one. I need to rehydrate again. Jordan. The biggest Tyler Clevin fan in the room. Uh, any thoughts on Tristan Bras? I like him. I, I There's skill to him. There's there's a bit of pace to him as well. Uh, he's on my list to track. I haven't gotten to him yet, but I will. Uh, so I'll let you know what, what comes up. How much attention do you pay to drafted guys? Do you track any games and check on them? I don't track any games of drafted guys and check on them. I track guys who play in the NHL for the first few games that they're playing just to see what's going on there. Um... Uh, yeah, so I'm going to need to start doing that probably next week is when I'll start doing it. The, what I do with drafted guys is the McKean series that I'm doing now where I look at a player and year over year, see what's going right or wrong. Uh, the next one I'm doing is probably going to be a player who has outperformed draft selection rather than the opposite. So that'll be kind of fun to see sort of what's changed in his game. But I haven't gotten to that point yet. It takes a little bit of time to figure out exactly who I can do because video access is a bit spotty. Um, but yeah. Hope that answers your question. Charles Lassonde. Hey, Will, from a small sample of Romanov in the NHL, who would you compare him to in terms of floor and ceiling? Ugh. Um, like... Part of me wants to say, like, a Nicholas Chalmerson with a bit more physical play to him. Like, he's a weird... I, I think Romanov is going to be a really solid defensive defenseman who can produce well. Like, especially if they're sticking him on the power play. Um, I mean, you should be able to produce on the power play, especially when you can skate like he does. Uh, you know, I, I really have come to like Romanov. Um, you know, definitely think the hype train is a little bit out of control. But certainly should be a valuable member of that defense group once guys like Weber and Petrie start to really fall apart. Um, I mean, they took that pick and it was it was a bit of a risky one to my view. Um, and yeah, the hype train might be a little out of control, but it looks pretty good now. Um, so yeah, I would say like really rock solid defensive metrics 
that can lend themselves to good offense from there. So take your pick of that. But I, 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 I can't think off the top of my head of like a floor and ceiling of that guy, especially after three games. Miles O'Brien, is that really you? Taking time off your busy shift on the the Deep Space Nine you're still working on? Anyway, thoughts on Ivan Manin. He stood out to me when I watched 1946. Uh, isn't he like 20? Yeah, he's a two-times undrafted guy. Um, I remember, he's caught my eye as well. But for a D-plus-2 Russian player playing on 1946, it might be a bit of a tall order unless you're absolutely obliterating the league. Like, Mix Tumanovs is a D-plus-2 defenseman who's six foot five playing in the MHL. But the team is not as good. He's producing extremely well. Um, and I, I like the package of skills and talent there that he's got. Manin, I think he's a really good MHL player. At, and at his age, he should be. So I'm not I, like he's caught my eye too. Like you're not you're not completely off base. I don't think um, he's one of the better players on that team to my eye, but he's one of the older ones as well. So that's also important to keep in mind. Uh, Maddie Beniers at one is solid. One of the better transition prospects I've seen in a while. Yeah, you're not wrong. Haskinen or Makar? Why do you do this to me? Um, if I had to pick one to be on my team, it would probably be Haskinen. But that's twisting my arm. Like, can I have both? That'd be nice. Uh, what 2018 defensemen outside of Dalene and Hughes do you think will be the best? Bouchard, Dobson, Boakvist, Smith. Yeah. Um, my hunch says Dobson. I'm still a Dobson guy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the Oilers, or the uh, Oilers, the, uh, the Islanders and their development pipeline, but... Bridgeport is a really, really frust was was really annoying for me to watch when I was watching some Wallstrom stuff. Um, they're slow, they're they're reliant on physical play. They, I just don't, and there is a reason that they're not very good. Like it, it, it's not great. Um, so I mean, I I still have faith that Dobson's going to be a really, really good two way defenseman. Um, I would say that of the names you mentioned. I wouldn't say Bouchard. I wouldn't say Boakvist. I like both of those players, but I don't think I'd consider them likely to be, like, the best. Um, Smith. I could see it, potentially. He's really early in his career, but I could see it. Um, Merkley. I don't I don't think he's going to be on that level, but I have faith in his ability. Miller. I've seen him play with the Rangers a little bit. I think he's been Fine. Fine. Lundqvist, we'll see. I don't think he's in that uh, Dalene Hughes level. Romanov, maybe, 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 maybe. Um, I could see Sandin, another. I don't know. It, the best of that bunch might end up being Dobson. I would say. Um, I don't know, but like none of these guys have played NHL hockey for an extended period of time, really. Uh, at least in situations that benefit them the most. But I, I would say that Bouchard, Boakvist, Miller, Lundqvist, and maybe Merkley, probably not guys that I would say right away are the one that jumps to my mind. But but Romanov, Sandin, Dobson, I've all I've liked them a lot since since seeing them in the NHL. Maybe not Sandin as much. I don't know. It's a tough question. It's still very early in their careers, and I'm not a I'm not a soothsayer. I don't think. At least I don't think I am. Do you think some offensive defensemen get overhyped because of their offensive game but lack defensive skills because they focus too much on the offense? 
Yeah, um, for sure. I think that exists. I think it's less common, but those players do exist. I mean, like Bryant Clark plays defense in an offensive way. You know, like if there's if the play is entering the in sorry, if the play is entering the neutral zone, he's very much a straightforward attacker. It's not pivoting to his back, uh, backwards skating, gap management. It's not often that he just pinpoints where the puck is going and just head straight for that area of the ice. And to me, that is like an offensive trait where he's like thinking, I'm going to get that puck and just move it up the ice again, rather than I can't get there in time. I'm going to play this safe and like, you know, positionally press the guy who's going to retrieve the puck. I haven't really seen that out of Brant Clark, but that certainly is a bit of an aspect with him. Um... But I, I don't think there's any defensemen that I can think of off the top of my head this year that that do that way too much. Um, sometimes you want to pull your hair out watching Simon Edvinson, but it's not because he chases offense. Luke Hughes, I wouldn't say chases offense at all. Um, Scott Morrow doesn't chase offense. He just creates all the time. Uh, I think Stanislav's Fozil chases it a lot uh especially at the at the Czech extra league level i think he needs to sort of rein in his game a little bit more and sort of let the game happen naturally rather than imposing his will like he pinches up in the defensive zone a lot um you know there's just a lot of tendencies in his game that i just don't think are super translatable but it's not a question of talent i guess um Have you seen NCAA action lately? The only games that I've really been watching are Michigan because those are the guys that I'm tracking, really. Um, Marcus Almquist is smart. Yeah, I hope so. I He's going to need to be, um, but I believe it. He plays pretty smart overall, um, especially for a small player. Your chicken noodle soup analogy made me think of Olison. Seems excellent with the puck on his stick, not sold on the rest. That's true. Olison doesn't have a ton of pace to his game. He plays high in the defensive end and... and Loves to control the puck through the neutral zone. He has tremendous transition data. He had the same great transition data in the minutes that he got at the World Juniors. Uh, I don't think it's super projectable, which is why he's a little bit lower on my list than like, like he's at the tail end of my second tier. I don't think maybe you could put Cheka Chibrikov ahead of him, but in terms of a solid guy who chips in with smarts and puck skill, I could see it. But yeah, there's there's questions about his skating and his pace that I just don't think make him as good as his production might indicate let me refresh um would yamamoto be an underwhelming comparison to caulfield's game or a good one i would say i take caulfield over yamamoto um caulfield has creativity and speed to him that i don't quite see with yamamoto yamamoto's really skilled and he's a hard worker uh, and he earns everything he gets. Like, I love watching Kaylor Yamamoto play. He's been one of the more exciting Oilers, not named McDavid or Dreisaitl or even Cahoon, I would say, that I've seen play for them this year. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch, and he's getting the offense that he deserves. Caulfield, though, I think has a much more... Like, he can take over a shift. I'm not sure Yamamoto will be an NHL player that can really sort of take over a shift and, like, you can put him out there with five minutes left in the game and be like, all right, buddy, we need a goal. Maybe, but I I believe more of that comes with Caulfield because his release, his puck control, his escape velocity, 
Um, his ability to fight off pressure with his speed and his skill, I think is at a higher level than Yamamoto's ever was. Like the big question with Yamamoto when he was draft eligible wasn't skill. It was like his pace and his speed. Great puck distributor, um, worked hard, but just wasn't that burner. He doesn't have that escape escape velocity, whereas I think Caulfield kind of does, at least more so. Or at least he exudes that energy more than Yamamoto does. Matthew Junio. Hello, Scout. What do you think of Jack Hughes so far? Well, I tweeted out that he's good. Um, so I guess he's good. Uh, you know, there was always going to be an adjustment period. Like, think about it logically. You're in the USHL playing for an under-18 team in a league where you play under-20 talent. You're the first player ever to go from that level to the NHL directly. I don't care who you are. Your first season in the NHL is probably not going to be super great. His was fine, I would say, last year. But now that he's had a year of experience to grow, a year to get stronger, um, that's the big thing with him to me is that he looks a lot stronger. Like, he doesn't look as, I would say, fleet of foot, but he's much more projectable, I would say. Like, he's fighting off pressure with more confidence. I found last year that he was getting boxed out a little bit too easily, you know, submitting to physical pressure really quickly. Um, but this year he seems much more confident with the puck on his stick, you know, much more focused on on driving offense with the puck on his stick really well. Um, you know, he's 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 looking good, I guess. And, like, I hope he is. He was the first overall pick in 2019. Like, he's been looking good. Him and Capocacco have looked better this year than they were last year. I'll say that as well. Do you believe in the Connor Bedard hype? Absolutely. He's a fantastic player. Glad to be back on the stream. Hello. Thoughts on Stanislav Fozel? Some people are really hyping him up. Also, opinion on Boakfist. I still love him, but others don't. I wouldn't write off Adam Boakfist right away. Like, I, the Chicago Blackhawks are bad. They're just bad. Um, but, you know, Boakfist was never going to be an offensive or a defensive juggernaut. That's not why you draft him. Um, I think his offensive game is fine and solid, and he's a good guy on the power play to have as well. Um, where they got him in the draft, I thought was perfectly reasonable. But I, I'm not giving up on him. He's, what, 20, 21 years old? Um, on Schwozel, let me pull him up here. Schwozel. Sposal's a mixed bag. Um, every single game I've tracked is at the Czech Extra League. Um, he's He's got some... He uses... Uh, excuse me. My voice is starting to go already. Uh, he uses positioning in the neutral zone really well and can close out breakouts that way. He's not a physically imposing player, but he just knows where to be on the ice to to fetch loose pucks and be on be good on retrievals and turning play around effectively. He's got to learn how to read the ice better. He's he's giving he's sacrificing a lot of offensive transitions through poor passing decisions. You know, he he if if a guy is 15 feet away from him and closing that gap quickly, his brain doesn't go, "I have a second to make a decision." His brain defaults to, "I need to get this puck away from me because he's going to crush me." And he ends up passing it to nobody. Um that's a big problem for him at the pro level, but but that's at the pro level. He's got a lot of good skill with him. Like I said earlier, he can chase offense a little bit too much in the offensive zone, but if that works for him, he pulls it off really well. He's got good skill. 
He's got patience in the offensive zone with the puck on a stick. He can find guys well through seams. Um, you know, at least in terms of cycling pucks around, there's not a tremendous amount of dangerous passing going on, but his team also hasn't had a tremendous amount of offense going on with him on the ice. So part of it, I think, is the team, but part of it also, like, you've got a guy who half the time he's passing pucks to the opponent on transitions offensively or not completing them with control, and his defense, and, his, and his possession metrics are poor. So there are things where I think there's promise. Um, he's smart, I think, but I think there's a lot. That I, I, I think that because he looked pretty good at the World Juniors, people are really on that. I think he should go in the first round, like with one of the last picks in the first round. I think that's reasonable. Um, I think he's a really good pick in the second round. Um, but beyond that, it's it's hard. I, I, I might just be missing some stuff early in the year. I've tracked three games of his. So maybe he gets better and better as he keeps playing. But yeah, there's there's ups and downs with Strozel for sure. But if you have a guy drafted in the end of the first round and there's ups and downs, like that's pretty typical. Your take on the Dubois situation and how far you would go to acquire him. I'm not going to say I know specifics because um, I don't and I don't think anyone really does. Uh, you know, do I think that Pierre-Luc Dubois is being uh, dramatic? I don't, I can't say. I, I don't know. I mean, if he just doesn't like John Tortorella's coaching style, he wouldn't be the first person to not like it. Um, I don't know what Dubois wants specifically. He's a great player in Tortorella's system. He's a perfectly valid top-end player for the Columbus Blue Jackets. If it's about just playing in Columbus fundamentally, I think that's a personal thing. I, I think that that's a personal thing that certain people can be very comfortable living and doing a job in a specific location. Some people are not. Personally, I'm not uncomfortable moving from the greater Toronto area to work for the, you know, LA Kings or the, the Vancouver Canucks or, you know, Lulio in Sweden. I don't care. I, I'm comfortable with outside being outside my comfort zone that's but that's just me and if Pierre-Luc Dubois is always the kind of person who is like Columbus is fine I'm playing well this is fine but like after a few years he's going yeah but yeah and my coach is being a bit of a jerk this the those things can stew in your mind you know like anyone is a human being right we're all human beings I'm sure a lot of us have jobs uh you know and there are probably situations where your job might affect you in ways that to other people, they might think it's a bit silly. Um, and some people might even call you dramatic. But, you know, it's perfectly possible that he's just being, you know, just whiny and wants his way out. But I don't think it's as likely. I think he just is, you know, I, I don't know. But but I hope that there's a fix to the issue, whatever it is. Um I, I I I feel bad for the guys that play on Columbus that aren't named Pierre-Luc Dubois because that's a distraction. Like it's it's unfortunate, like that it that it got out and that it's now this like big story and you know it's it's hanging over the team to me. Like and you you're in the locker room with a guy who on record doesn't want to be there and the coach is publicly saying this guy doesn't want to be here. Like that's not easy. But I mean you got to go to work and do your job. But like that's that's that can't be very easy. Um, but I don't think it's like a, 
I don't know. I, I, how far would I go to acquire him? Well, I, I'm not super concerned because he's a really talented player. I guess you have to do your homework because you don't really know what's going on there. Um, you know, usually when players force teams' hands to get themselves out of a certain place, they they underwhelm when they leave. But, you know, Dubois is a very talented player, so I think no matter where he goes, he's going to be just fine. What NHL team are you a fan of? Legally, I'm obliged to say that I am unbiased. Thoughts on ja Josh Norris? Um, I've always thought Josh Norris was a pretty neat hockey player. I think he factors into Ottawa's future pretty well. Maybe they're like a middle six center for them. Um, you know, they've got a lot of interesting centers, guys like Colin White, Logan Brown. Um, and I put Josh Norris in that group as well. I don't think any of those guys are like rock solid number one centers that'll anchor your team forever. Um, you know, maybe the Senators will get that this year and maybe a Matthew Beniers down the road, maybe. But Norris is a good center. Uh, I, I've liked him. I've like I liked him when he played for the Senators already this year. Um, so we'll see. I, I think he's a, I think he's a perfectly reasonable NHL player that, that should help the senators supplement, uh, an elite group of players one day. Uh, my opinion on Jack Hughes, uh, he's terrible. He's the worst hockey player I've ever seen. Uh, he's slow. He's too big. Um, he's, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Jack Hughes is a really good player. The other Jack Hughes is also really good. Uh, 2022 kid. Sweet Chili Heat Doritos is goaded. Good. They should be. Genuinely curious for your thoughts on Vera Lanen. Seen a few games and don't love it. The funny thing about Vera Lanen is that his numbers are extremely good. Like, across the board, his numbers are just extremely good. Um, so, you've got a guy who three quarters of his shot attempts that he's taken are high danger. Zero of his shot attempts are medium danger. So, he's basically getting his shots from the net area and that's about it um unreal transition numbers going both directions and i think this is three games the difference though the the issue is that he's not super involved in these transitions like he just doesn't he's a very passive center he doesn't activate himself along blue lines very often but you can kind of get away with that and at least i'd rather that and he gets any and when he makes it count he makes it count i'd rather that than a guy who is all over the opponent and not doing anything. Um, his possession numbers are fantastic. Offensive possession is is great. Defensive possession, great. Not a super active passer either. Not completing a ton of his passes, but, you know, he's a guy who once in a while pulls something out of his hat where you're like, oh, like you can do that too. That's pretty neat. Um... But again, like, I mean, for Vera Lanen, like, maybe a mid to late round pick. Like, I don't think Vera Lanen's ever going to be anything more than maybe, like, a good bottom six center. Like, I think if he fills out and gets stronger, um, he could be a nice greasy center that you can put out there on penalty kills or uh, put him in front of the net on a power play and at five on five just sort of tell him to send pucks to other guys and, and get to the net because that's kind of what he does really well now. Um, but even when he's got the puck in the offensive zone, like one thing he does a lot, which I find a pretty high end sort of trait, he's really good at misdirection with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. Like he'll go behind the net with the puck on his stick and m fool me from my perspective that he's going around the net to circle around and 
do a lap, but he'll throw a backhand pass to the guy behind him who's in front of the net for a scoring chance. Or he'll stay, he'll, you know, he'll circle around the back of the net, enter the face-off circle, spin, but during that spin also have a back pass to someone in the... Like, he gets crafty from time to time where I'm going, oh, okay, like, this is pretty neat. Um, but, like, he's not a player where I look at the analytics that I have and go... He's one of the best players available. I don't believe what I'm looking at here on him, and I bet that over time it regresses a little bit. Um, but also, like, it's also why you can't just look at the percentages and go, this guy's unbelievable. He's not super involved in those transitions. He's not passing the puck tremendously often. Um, but, you know, when he when he does get sort of that higher-end trait, he's impressive. So I could see him being a player, uh, especially if he's available later in the draft, I could see him being an interesting swing to take and, and maybe being a bottom six guy down the road. Um, but yeah, mixed bag on him for sure. He's a weird one. Um, <clears throat> how much harder is it now for team scouting players this year compared to others? Do you expect there to be more teams who go off the board compared to last year? Yeah, I, I really think that there's going to be difficulties. I mean, someone was saying today that central scouting isn't putting out a numbered list of players for their midterms this year. Frankly, I think that's lazy. Like, I think you, like it, it's entirely possible to make some kind of list. Like, everyone is, accepts that this is weird. Like, we, the, 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 the craft from the start is weird to begin with. And, and, you know, once you get outside of the top 10 guys usually every year, it's a crap, sh- it's almost a crap shoot. You know, the first round generally, you can feel pretty good about most of the guys, but like, it's not like people are looking or I don't think people should look at scouts as like truth seekers and finders of what happens in the future. It's just about managing probabilities and trying to add good players to your programs and developing them properly. That's really it. You know, there's a lot more that goes on rather than just picking the names. So I don't know why people are out there going, well, we don't want to put out a list because of this and this and this, you know, it's like, no, just we're all at this point, we're all in this together. No one knows what's happening. Um, and it's all very confusing and scary and weird. And when we look back on this draft in 10 years, it's probably going to be very weird. Um, so, I mean, there are teams that I've heard of that have just stopped looking at 2021 eligibles. I think we're going to see a lot of overagers drafted, especially out of the WHL and OHL. Um, I I think the teams are going to fall back on their notes from last year and ignore some draft eligibles this year to their own peril in my view. But I think that's entirely possible. Um, I mean, in realistic terms, I think we should see a lot more Europeans drafted. I think there's a lot of really good Europeans available this year, but like they've been playing at least and they're younger. So if you, I mean, if you want to default to CHL overagers, then be my guest. Um, but I'd be more than happy to take swings on guys playing elsewhere that there's data. You can watch them play. There are ways of getting in touch with them remotely, you can do it, right? Like, it's all possible, but I certainly think this year is going to be a very weird one regardless on a multitude of fronts like you kind of highlighted. Uh, what do you think of the changes? What do you think of... What do you think the changes of Florida trading for Ekholm, Erickson Ek, drafting Eklund, and then forming an Ek dynasty? Well, uh, acquiring uh, Ekholm might be tough. Erickson Ek could probably be had. I mean, it would be fun. I would I would not be against the idea of an Ek dynasty in Florida. They've done well drafting anyway, so who knows. What did you think of Pod Colson's play at the World Junior Championship? 
I thought he was fine. Um, look, the I my 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 thoughts on Vasily Podkolzin have not changed since he was drafted. Since I put out that video that Vancouver Canucks fans blasted, and I think it's still my most popular video. Uh, I I mean blasted as in like sent to the moon, not like yelled at me for. I mean I do get the odd Vancouver Canucks fan yelling at me, um, but like my hunch was that Podkolzin would be a middle six high energy guy that would earn the production he gets but I did not see him as like an offensive juggernaut who will make opponents embarrassed and all that. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people say, if only this thing happened, Pod Colson would have more points. If only this, if only this, if only this, if only this, and it's been like three years. I just don't think there's the finesse, the skill to, to, to be a massive, massive point producer in the NHL. I think he's going to be a middle six guy maybe a second line guy who can make, you know, who makes the line that he plays on a lot better. Like, I think he could be a solid 60 point player, 60, 70 point guy who will clear the front of the net, play well around the net, like a Brady Kachuk. Like if you get a Brady Kachuk out of Vasily Pod Colson, great. That's great. But again, like I was cooler on Brady Kachuk to my own peril with Pod Colson, I was cooler as well, but I still feel pretty good about that kind of a style of play. Like, again, Brady Kachuk is not a guy that I'm building a team around. He's really good, but, you know, in terms of that no-nonsense, get the puck to the net and jam it in, uh, I could see that with Pod Colson for sure. It's just a matter of the jamming it in part that seems to be a bit lagging. Um, but, yeah... I think there's a, a really good and admirable player there. A guy I'd want on my team, for sure. Um, but in terms of, like, an Art Ross Trophy winner one day, I'm not sure. Uh, have you seen any of the under-17 NTDPs? I have. Uh, Rutger McGordy is a great player. I really like him. Um, I think Maddox Fleming is a 2022 kid. He's looked good. Jack Devine is under-18, but him and Jack Hughes have looked really good as well. Um, the under 17s look good this year for the NTDP for sure. Since the Hawks have been rough. Yep. That's true. If the draft were tomorrow and the Hawks are number one, who would you take? Uh, Beniers. If I'm the Chicago Blackhawks, I'm taking Maddie Beniers. Uh, sorry, I'm late. I've already, if you've already covered this, but who were you thinking for number one? Maddie Beniers. Uh, seems like there's so many guys running for number one. Maddie Beniers is separating himself pretty quickly for me. Like the world junior was sort of an, an exclamation point. After watching him a couple of games in Michigan before the World Juniors, I went, all right, this kid is really good. I've had my eye on him since he was on the under-18 team two years ago. Um, as a guy where I'm like, this this guy can move, this guy can shake, this guy can shoot. I like him. And, um, you know, I, I think that the number of guys that can really challenge him, I mean, would I take Wallstead over him at number one? If I had had a couple of beers and, um, you know, I had the right group of guys around me, the, the right group of, sorry, I shouldn't say guys. If I had the right group of people around me to like help me think that through really carefully, um, then I would certainly say Jesper Volstead could go number one. I mean, we were just talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. They kind of do need a goaltender. Um, Fabian Liesel, I don't think I would put over Beniers. Eklund, I don't think I would either. Ratu, I don't think I would. Luke Hughes, maybe. Simon Edvinson, if I took the amount of beers that I had to to get be convinced about Jesper Volstead and squared that number, 
then I might be able to convince myself that Edvinson could be number one. But to me, Beniers is slowly sort of pulling away because he does so many things that are beneficial really well. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to like there. But but I'd say that realistically, Wallstead, you know, it, 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 I'll also say this. If the third game Atu Ratu played that I tracked is how he plays for the rest of the year, Ratu could be there as well. He was fantastic after after coming back from the under-20 level. Um, just just fantastic. Like, you know, someone mentioned, though, that he does kind of look like Jesse, Jesse Puglia-Yarvi if Puglia-Yarvi played center, and I could see that. Uh, there's a bit of that to his game as well, but I like Jesse, Jesse Puglia-Yarvi, and, you know, if 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 a team that develops prospects well drafts Atu Ratu and is patient with him, then they could have something really interesting there. Um, and if he plays like he did... I could see Ratu being right back near the top end of this draft. Um, but to me, Beniers is number one, and, and, and he's slowly pulling away if things are continuing as they are. Thoughts on Jeremy Wilmer? I don't think he's getting the praise he deserves. He's consistently a catalyst for making a pass that springs a teammate. Yeah, I, I, I like Jeremy Wilmer a lot. I mean, he is a guy who I think needs to upgrade his his skating and, and his, his explosiveness on his feet. Um, he's decent. He's really skilled, but not... Uh, He's decently skilled, but not like enough to escape really big players yet. I think he's, I mean, he's very young. He's, I think a September kid. Uh, so again, like I have him ranked in the second round. Uh, where is he here? 47th. Like if you could get him in the third round because he's small and people don't like small players, I think you're laughing till the cows come home. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's a first-round guy that I would look at. I think the size does carry issues that he has trouble overcoming. Like, and if I had to go between him and Marcus Almqvist, it's a tough one. Um, I could go either way. Him, him, Kananika, and Almqvist are going to be interesting to keep an eye on over the next few years. I like all three in terms of smaller players uh, that are born in September. Um you know, and I could see either, but I certainly see the appeal of Jeremy Wilmer a little bit more on a consistent basis relative to Kananika and, and Almquist, but but they're interesting young players that are quite small. What do you think of Kotkin Yemi and his potential? He's terrible and he's probably never gonna do anything with his career. Um, I don't know. Like he's probably he's in the NHL, he's a top six forward for the for the Habs. Like that's pretty good potential on its own. Like, is he gonna be a Selkie trophy winner from time to time? I think it's possible uh but yeah he's a he's a top six nhl player right now like that's 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 pretty good where will bodie wild be in five years hopefully with the islanders i i like bodie wild a lot really tough uh playing in bridgeport because that team is boring and bad but yeah i like bodie wild a lot so i hope in five years he's playing with the islanders maybe second pair third pair guy but i think he should be he's good enough to be a player i think any true elite players this draft so far? Will there be less than we've seen in the past five years? I think it's not going to be like elite level guys this year. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of useful pieces. Like, you know, when you look back to say 2012, do you consider Morgan Riley, who probably is the best player to come out of that draft, maybe Matt Dumba, are they elite? I don't think so. Like Morgan Riley is a top pair defenseman, but he has issues and he's not, you know, he's not, he's a really good player but not spectacularly high end i think beneers could be there down the road i think Liesel could be a really fun scoring winger 
uh, I don't know. And I think there are factors of his game that are like elite, um, or at least very high end. Eklund, we'll see. I don't think he's that that level. Um, Hughes, Edvinson, you know, if you twist my arm, maybe Owen Power could all become really, really good defensemen in the NHL, but I'm not 100% sure that 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 they'll all get there or or there's a high likelihood that that any of them will get there um but i do like luke hughes a lot uh but i would say the only guys that i'm really sure about as being potentially elite are berniers wallstead and maybe one of these defensemen that are in the top 10 i would say uh um uh, uh, cameron berg i've seen him play live in the ushl i've been impressed with him um you think he needs to improve his skating and his shot. Cameron Berg can really shoot the frickin' puck, and he can really move. Um, I like Cameron Berg a lot. He should have been drafted last year. He should have been the guy that I added to my list in the seventh round last year. I'm still kicking myself in the butt for that, especially with the number of defensemen this year that I've liked that I would take a swing on. Um, I mean, I like Anton Lukachov a lot, but Cameron Berg should have been the guy. That, that That's the guy it should have been because uh, he's been outstanding. What do you think of Roman Schmidt? Someone is going to draft him really high, um, and I would not do so. He is a big defenseman who, without the puck on his stick, can skate. But he's a big defenseman who has bad possession uh, bad possession data. He's a big defenseman who gets beat wide on defensive transitions constantly. He's a big defenseman who has not filled out his frame, and he's not very strong on his feet. Um, he's a big defenseman, like we talked about last week, that triangle between your stick blade, your wrists, and your ankles. is the, the, uh, like When you have a big defenseman, that's a, that's a lot of space. Like If you have to get a defenseman who is six... I'm six feet tall. I'm not super tall. If you add five inches to me, that triangle... I would need to do the math, but that, that, that triangle can get very large. Um, Zdeno Chara will crush you, and that's kind of how he uses his size effectively. He will destroy you. Um, I don't really see that out of Roman Schmidt on a consistent enough basis. Maybe he could get there, but I don't really see it. Um, there are other defensemen that I think move better. They have a smaller one of those triangles, so it's harder to get around them. Um, they have multiple layers of defensive defensive ability that that allow them to check with a stick first sweep the puck away second, go in with the body and your gap control third. Like Caden Gooley was a master at that last year. That's a big thing that made him, in my view, probably the best defense first defenseman in the, in the draft. But again, like what's the value of that? Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know, especially when you're talking. I mean, it depends also. Like, are we talking Roman Schmidt first round pick? Because if that's the case, bye. Like I, I won't do that. Um, but if we're talking Roman Schmidt, like mid round swing, because he's big, sure. You could convince me maybe, but like I've seen time and time again, just he gets beat. Like he's just a defenseman who gets beat a lot. He's a defenseman who has a lot of empty space on his frame and he gets beat with the puck a lot. Um, but he skates well for a big guy. So that's nice. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not super over the moon with him as a big defenseman. I would jump at to draft especially comparing him to a guy like Scott Morrow, um, who's also pretty big. Uh, who else is a big defenseman that I have ranked here? Hugo Gabrielson, I think, is pretty big. I could be wrong. 
Um, Vladislav Lukashevich is a big defenseman who's who's pretty solid defensively as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not a huge Roman Schmidt guy. What's the reason for moving up Ratu? Uh, the game that I tracked when he came back was light years, light years better than the previous ones I did. Uh, spectacularly good game. I, I mean, I wish I was... I mean, I wish I was sugarcoating it. He looked great. Um, plus his shooting metrics for a kid playing in the Swedish in the Finnish pro league. I mean, the quality of his shooting is probably not where it could be, but I mean, like all of this data is Liga data. So you've got a guy who, uh, is taking 16 and a half dangerous shot attempts per 60 minutes from, from dangerous areas on his own. Uh, not a whole lot from high danger, 18%, but that's okay i would say when you have 72 percent coming from medium and high um he's taking 30 31 percent of his team's shot attempts when he's on the ice 23 percent of the team shot attempts when he's on the ice are him from dangerous areas which is pretty huge and again he's playing in the Finnish pro league good defensive results here not terrible there good possession results there an offensive threat over 20 is very good uh, offensive controlled zone transition, 76% is great. And he's in a high workload there, pretty high workload defensively as well. And also a 31%, like the first two games, there was really good transition data, but that's it there. He just had no confidence outside of that area of the game. It just wasn't there, but now he seems to be sort of rejuvenated a little, seemed much better in the game that I watched. And I have learned to trust a player when they show you their best, and if that's what his best is, the rest, I think, is just going to come with time. Um, so, yeah, he he was, you know, it's only one game. But if if that's what he is for the rest of the year, top 10 pick to me, no questions asked. Um, but he's he's soft in his spot on my list, I guess I could say. What players do you think left off different world junior teams will impact players for next year's tournament? I mean, in my recap video, I put out a whole lot of those names. Um, I mean, you mentioned a few of them. Gooschin, uh, I thought would have really helped the Russians this year. Uh, I mean, Canada is going to get a guy like Seth Jarvis, who I think will help. Jacob Perot, if he's on the Canadian team next year, could be a help. Um, there's a few off the top of my head. Helga Grants, like you mentioned, would be another one. William Valinder. Um, yeah, there's quite a few of them. Francis. Alexi Lafreniere was invisible the first three games. Yeah, I mean, he has, again, like, that's the big thing. Pace of play. How do you play with pace? If you have all the skill in the world and you play in the QMJHL, you can get away with a lot. Lafreniere is a great player, but the fact that there's a bit of an adjustment period here does not shock me whatsoever, and I said that on numerous occasions last year. Uh, thoughts on Keandre Miller's first three games? I thought he's been fine. You know, he's getting his feet set. Same thing with Lafreniere. Like, he has had a bit of a weird career since being drafted, going to Wisconsin, having his game basically upended. Um, and now he's trying to play David Quinn hockey. And I don't know about you, but when I watch the Rangers play, I go, uh, this is not the brand of hockey that I would be promoting. But, like, if they think that this can lead to success, then fine. A lot of preferring to chase the puck around, it seems and play physical um like a like a focus on that and 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 playing without the puck and to me that's not a recipe for long-term success um but maybe i'm just not watching enough rangers hockey uh but i i think miller's look just fine uh thoughts on isaac beliveau eh, 
him and Zach Bolduke, now that a lot of good players on Ramuski are gone, I don't I don't see it. I don't have him ranked and I don't think I will. Do you think Tim Stutzler's game is better suited to center or wing? Wing. What is Vili Hanel's potential? Perfectly fine second pair guy for Winnipeg, I would say is reasonable. He's he's not flashy tremendously uh, often. He's responsible, smart, good puck distributor. Um all around just a fine player with and without the puck and there and that's perfectly reasonable especially for where they drafted him in the draft uh tyler boucher is a grinder type of role in the top nine the speed jumps off the screen yeah i like tyler boucher as well i i i low-key do like him as well uh he's a guy who's not getting a lot of attention um ugh. like i've got him ranked in the late second round I, I like him. I, I think he's a perfectly reasonable player to, to draft. Um, best skater in the 2021 draft? Um, I mean, uh, the best skater. Simon Robertson is a really good skater. He's right up there. Beneers could be that. I think he just needs to tweak a little bit of the the actual form that he has while skating. He seems to skate very hunched over. He seems to keep pucks very far in front of his body. Um, really seems to like the Quinton Byfield kind of skating where you can see that a little bit of a tweak here and there might make him a lot more efficient. Um, and, and, and a lot, it might make him quicker in the long run by being more efficient. Uh, but, but he could get there. Fabian Liesel is one of the better, like high motor players at both ends. Um, but I would like Simon Robertson is a guy who I could watch skate all day. I, I really, really love how he skates around the ice. Um, and that's probably the, the one, the ones that I would push right off the bat. I mean, Scott Morrow is a beautiful skater as well. I mean, if you watch that guy play hockey, he's, he's a wonderful skater. Uh, but again, might just be from watching us prep hockey. Uh, What do you say about Darlene's development? Watching him play right now, I feel like it would probably have been a good thing to keep him out NHL his first year, like Hughes, McCarr, and Haskin, and especially Buffalo. You know what? I'm not gonna uh let's let's actually quickly because I gotta get out of here. Um for it is eleven twenty. Uh let's look at Rasmus Darlene uh and his his overall ability here. I mean, so this is very early in the year, but, and if you don't use hockey viz, you should. And if you don't give Micah money and you can, you probably should. Um, he's a net, he's a net zero difference on their defensive game. He's a right-hand shot defenseman. And with him, the right-hand side of the ice looks a little bit better than the left. Um, and his expected goal rate is pretty good. His expected goal rate offensively is league average, but without him on the ice, it's 19% below average. So I think Darlene is doing just fine. Um, like, who is he playing with? Brandon, okay, yeah, he's playing with Brandon Montour for the first few games of the year. Brandon Montour is a defensive tire fire from my viewing of him. Um, but, you know, I, I have faith in Rasmus Darlene, no question. Um you know, I, 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 I certainly think that it's perfectly reasonable. Like last year he had something like what a 60 point pace for a defenseman on the Buffalo Sabres. 
you know, like he's 20. I think he's going to be just fine. That That's really it. Um, yeah, and like on the power play with him, 14 minutes with him, 18% better than league average. And uh, without him, they're 2% worse than league average, and it's relatively similar power play time. Obviously, it's very early in the year. His competition that he's playing against is largely top pair guys. Um, I think he, for a 20-year-old defenseman, I think he's doing a pretty darn good job uh for sure especially for playing with a defensive guy like brandon montour um i feel like baneers does a lot of things well but doesn't have the upside that a gm is looking for in a number one pick don't you think well if he doesn't have the upside uh i mean i don't know like who would you take at first overall this year like i don't know you got to pick someone i i look at jesper volstead do you want to take a goalie first overall? If it's going to be anyone, maybe it's him in this year's draft. Fabian Liesel? He might be a guy who scores a lot of points in the NHL. But would a GM pick him first overall? Probably not, especially considering he has a reputation already. Uh, William Eklund. NHL GMs are not drafting William Eklund first overall. He's a five foot nine winger. Um, you know, and he plays in Europe. Five foot nine wingers named Patrick Kane go first overall uh, that play with the London Knights. Atu Ratu is not going first overall. Uh, Hughes maybe could go first overall. If your first overall pick this year is locked in as Owen Power, good luck. I, I, good luck. So you'd probably trade the pick, right? Like, I'm sure everyone would love to. You know, like, if you could trade the pick, great. But, like, that someone's got to go first overall, right? Like, someone does. So if if the, if the read on this year's draft is no one knows who's going to go first overall, then who's going to trade up to draft first overall, right? Like, I look at Matthew Beniers and see a tremendous transition center with a great motor at both ends, tremendous shot assist rates. Like, I'll I'll, I'll show you, um, like just a lot of the metrics that I track. He's he's doing a a really good job. The possession, sure, the NCAA, whatever. Like, there there's only so much you can do. But, uh, like, the playmaking aspect of the game, like, he's on an island by himself. 23 shot assists per 60 minutes is huge. Uh, oh, yeah, forfeit the pick. Yeah, he can do that, too. <laughs> Someone's got to go first. Someone's got to be the first name off the board. Uh, yeah, like, Matthew Beniers here. Um, huge, huge, huge shot assists numbers. His dangerous pass attempt completion rate is not overwhelmingly positive but he's creating a lot in the offensive zone and his offensive transition numbers are insane. Like 70, 75 controlled offensive zone transitions. And he's still two thirds on turn in terms of maintaining control. I think if his skill level comes a step and his skating mechanics can be tweaked a little bit, easy, easy. First overall to me, like easy, easy pick, uh, in terms of getting the puck in the defensive zone, getting into the offensive zone and creating offense in the offensive zone. Great motor. He he earns what he gets. And and I think a team would draft him first overall, honestly. Um as a Rangers oh, will Cody Glass break out? Hopefully. Cody Class. That's another yeah, Cody Class. That's his name now. You've named him. Uh as a Rangers fan, I agree on Quinn's brand of hockey. Too many of our young players are put in awkward situations. Yeah, like it seems like the Rangers play a method of play that they don't want the puck unless Panarin has it or Zabanajad has it. And otherwise they want you just crushing everything. 
You know, like I saw Ryan Lindgren countless times last night on pucks rimmed around the boards, looking, instead of cutting off the puck before it gets to the target of the pass, he would target the guy who is the target of the pass when he has the time to cut off that pass and, and generate a turnover. So if they're coaching them to say, take the body first, it, the, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's conducive to success personally, but there are guys that can make that work. Like I'm not surprised that they like Brendan Lemieux there because that's the style of play that he likes. And that's the style of play that he thrives in. But that's to me, not a style of play that lends itself to winning hockey games, but they have guys like Zibanejad and Panarin who basically impose their will on the opposing team regardless. Thoughts on Dylan Duke. Excellent hockey player. Love Dylan Duke. Uh, great dual threat offense. Great motor. Two-way, two-way instincts are really, really good. Needs to get stronger on his feet, but I think he could easily be a, a really, really talented NHL player down the road. Even if he's a winger, not a center. Um, da, 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 in a re- Okay, last question of the night, and then I gotta go because my brain hurts now. In a redraft, where do you take Zegris? Um, well, let's just go. Where do I take Zegris? Uh, do I? Okay, we'll play this game. Um, Zegris at nine. So would I take Zegris over Jack Hughes? No. Would I take him over Capocacco? No. Would I take him over Kirby Doc? No. Uh, Bowen Byram? Probably not. Uh, Alex Turcotte? Yeah, you could convince me. Sure. Let's say yes. Moritz Sider? After seeing Moritz Sider in Sweden this year, I probably still lean Zegris, but that's close. Uh, do I take him over Cousins? Yes. Broberg? Yes. So I would say, in a retrospect, Zegris could be number five to me. And Turcotte goes to six. Maybe seven. Sider goes to six. And Cousins Broberg in that in that in that order. Um obviously I would put guys later ahead of guys like Broberg and, and you know, I mean I like Dylan Cousins, but I wasn't super high on him then. Uh, like I, maybe I would take a Pod Colson over a Broberg or or a Cousins, but in terms of where I would put Zegris, I think at, at five behind these four guys is perfectly reasonable. Um Yeah. I I'll, I'll say that. Uh, I like Kent, but I'm a weirdo. You know what? In terms of pure talent, Kent Johnson could be the best player to come out of this draft. In terms of scoring an offense, sure. Um, I have real questions about how he processes the game. Excuse me, hiccups again. I have real questions about how he processes the game. I have real questions about um, his pace to his game. You know, you can get away with a lot of skill a lot of the time, but at five on five, like his lack of real foot speed and lack of real escape agility and, and, and all that really shows itself a lot. But, uh, he's, he's a guy who with Ken Johnson, like I have him ranked at nine, but he's the tail end of my top nine. And I would say that I would, I mean, I certainly like Ken Johnson more than I've liked Owen power. Um, I would, I would be convinced to take Johnson over Clark I mean, yeah, he has talent. He's a video game character. Like, Kent Johnson is a video game. It's like someone playing PS5 and playing NHL. Can you even get NHL on PS5? God, I'm 30 years old. I'm old. Um, but yeah, like, would I take Kent Johnson over Brant Clark? I have him ranked lower, but I could. Edvinson? I have him ranked lower, but I could. Luke Hughes? Then you're kind of pushing me. Like, I would say Kent Johnson, Edvinson, and Clark. 
are very much interchangeable based on what you're looking for in my in my view. So seven to nine, I would say with Johnson. But like if Johnson, his skating improves over the year and he starts to make simpler plays that aren't chasing the offense, because I think he tries to do way too much out there a lot. Like every single shift, I'm going like, Kent, just PTFG, play the flipping game. You're playing hockey, you have teammates, use them. Because if you don't, you create turnovers and that's what he does a lot. So to me... In terms of pure talent, Johnson is right up there in terms of potential and, and in terms of the skill and, and definitely is up there. Uh, he's very creative. I'll give him that as well. Um, but the pace and the skating and, um, you know, the consistency away from the puck is a bit of, a, is a bit of an issue. Um, but again, like we're kind of nitpicky, but you kind of have to be at the top end of the draft. Uh, but I could easily see him as high on my list as, six or seven maybe um like i think eklund plays at a higher level plays with more pace plays with more simplicity uh and and i think eklund is a really really admirable player to watch but like i think that there's more to other players in other areas of the game that johnson kind of needs more work in but but again like you're not wrong you know like if someone if i had first overall and someone was like we're going for kent johnson i'd be like all right let's talk like let's figure this out like it's not a hard what the hell are you talking about? Um, but you know, with Kent Johnson, there's stuff like I already have a bunch of video clipped of him for the video that I'll be making on him where I'm like sitting at my computer going, dude, like, you know, there's, there's an option right there in front of me, like right there. And he tries to do way too much. Yamamoto top five in a redraft. Probably not. Uh, probably not, but he's a very good player. Anyway, with that, I got to go. Uh, I'm losing the voice here. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Um, if you liked it, click everything so that you don't miss any other videos or whatever. Subscribe, hit the bell, all those YouTube cliches. Uh, if you really liked it, you could check out the Patreon. Um, you get access to data visualizations like this fun stuff, uh, data sheets like this one. There's a demo version if you don't have the, the funds. Um, you can get access to all kinds of fun stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, there's also a merch store as well if you want to check that out as well. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, always great to have you all here. Uh, be back next Wednesday, same time, 9.30 p.m. Um, Eastern Standard Time, greater whatever GMT stands for, minus five, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that I need to get off before I go. I'm not thinking of anything. Um, so thank you very much for joining me. This was lovely. We'll see you next time.